Welcome back to Habitual Routine. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome to the New York Roadrunners podcast. I'm Coach Anique Lamar, and I'm the manager of runner training and education at New York Roadrunners, and I'm joined by my co-host and co-coach, Roberto Mange. Roberto, introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, as you said, I'm Roberto Mange. I've been with New York Roadrunners now for about four years. I'm the head of training, which means I get to really impact the way runners train and get ready for our weekly races. And in this case, the virtual TCS New York City Marathon. And absolutely. That's the point of this podcast for this season. It's marathoning. So that might be a virtual marathon. And as Roberto said, it might be the virtual TCS New York City Marathon. So if you're interested in anything marathon related, this is the place for you. And we're going to break down marathoning two ways today. We're going to talk about the importance of a training plan and the importance of a coach. Now, Roberto, we might have talked about this on the last podcast. Yes. Yeah, we sure did. Uh, you know, having both been athletes in our prior life, we know the importance of a coach and importance of a training plan. So whether you think you're a novice or you're an experienced runner, it pays to have a training plan. You need that sort of structure and it definitely pays to have a coach or another set of eyes that could really guide your training. And, you know, that's kind of what we're here for. Absolutely. It's the number one most important thing that runners have to have to be successful while marathoning. And we're going to explain that today. And we're also going to break down the importance of the coaching relationship. And two experts on this are Define New York Run Club Coach Coffee uh, and runner Victoria Fortune. And they're going to share with us a little bit about why this relationship is so important to them, to each other, and to the greater community that they run in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we see that every day through our virtual group training, through a coaching lab, and then, you know, back when we could meet in person, our in-person group training, just the effect and impact that a coach could have on a runner. And just, you know, these two couldn't have put it better. So we've got a lot in store today. The first thing we're going to kick off is why these training plans are so important. We always talk about coaches, what you should do, but today we're going to break down the why you should do it. And we're hoping that through the why you understand that you really have to follow some aspects of this plan. So let's get to it. Let's break it down. All right, runners. So today we're going to talk about science and biology, and we are not going to scare you with these topics. Uh, as coaches, it's so important that you understand a little bit about why it is that you do what you do when you run. And I like that, to be honest, because a lot of times runners do what their coaches say or tell them. And, you know, you do want to follow the orders, but you don't want to blindly follow orders. So I think often it's very good to question why is that we're doing this and how what it is we're doing a workout, recovery, rest, whatever you whatever it may be how it fits into the grand, grand scheme of training, into the training block. So I think that's what we're talking about when we say science, not to scare anybody, but again, everything has its purpose. Absolutely. And, and the science of the sport is important, right? Because these plans look very specific and everyone's got slightly different training plans, but they're all variations of the same theme, which is the adaptation of biology and how a person gets stronger year over year over year and with all those miles under the belt. And so we want runners on today's podcast to understand the role really recovery plays and why you have to rest and why we don't say uh, you get a day off. We say you get a rest or recovery day, right? And I think that's important for us as coaches to acknowledge the role that recovery plays. A hundred percent. And now just taking a step back, listening to you speak, I'm like, you know what? If you listen to this podcast, you're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out better. You're actually going to come out smarter. We're talking about the biology, all these terms that Anika's throwing out. So Strap in, buckle up, and uh, let's get going, Anik. <laughs> All right. 
All right, so the very first thing we're going to talk about is homeostasis. And this is not a ninth grade biology class. It is a running podcast, but it's important to understand because homeostasis is how your brain regulates the internal systems of your body so they're stable, so you're neutral. And you can think of it like when you get really hot and you start sweating, that is your body trying to maintain homeostasis by cooling down your inner system. So homeostasis is you sitting on the couch feeling good. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, it's a cool word, but you don't have to remember the word too much, but you do have to remember that it's something that happens more or less involuntarily. So you don't have to actively do this, but the beauty about homeostasis is it's always occurring. Is your body basically looking out for you? So if your body's in homeostasis all the time, when you do a workout or a long run, it is actually a stress on your body and it's called a training stimulus and it actually pushes your body out of homeostasis. Exactly. I know back in the day when I ran a lot, my stressor, even though it was voluntarily, was my long run because I knew I was going to be going up high. I lived in Boulder, Colorado around five and a half thousand feet, but then I would make my stressor going even higher up into the mountains. We're talking eight, 9,000 feet. So homeostasis for me was just laying on the couch, sleeping in bed at five and a half thousand feet. My stressor was that long run added with the uh, extra elevation of, you know, maybe eight, 9,000 feet. Absolutely. And so it's like a math equation, like homeostasis plus the long run at 10,000 feet altitude equals all the fatigue you've ever had, Coach Roberto. I'm getting my Um, calculator out. Seriously. I mean, so fatigue is the result of an athlete pushing themselves outside of homeostasis. And the point of this all is to say you have to recover. If you don't give yourself the time to recover, your brain doesn't have a chance to repair structures, recruit resources that are broken down due to all the stress, for example, the altitude long run, which is why rest days are so important because they allow the body to come back to homeostasis and handle the next workload. Exactly. So if you've ever heard me speak before any of our numerous expos or on Facebook Live or obviously this podcast now, you'll know I love to say the gains are made in the recovery. So right now you get out your podcast calculator. Professor Anik has taken us through homeostasis. (laughs) plus stressor equals fatigue. So in order to make gains, we need to recover. Absolutely. And those gains, those gains are called enhanced adaptation. This means you are recovered, but you recover stronger than you were before. So your homeostasis is like at like a new level, which is why when you see those pro runners out there running like five minute miles over the course of a marathon, they don't look so fatigued, but that would like kill a normal person. That is because they have a really high level of fitness. Their homeostasis is really high and they can handle the load that they're working under. Yeah. And one thing I will say to that, it's obviously all relative because even then, once upon a time, they could only do one five minute mile. But through going through this cycle over and over through many years of training, they've adapted to be able to hold that five minute mile, let's say for one mile, two miles, three miles, et cetera. And honestly, it's physiology. So it doesn't matter where you are, or who you are. You could also do the same thing just relative to your ability. So whether that for you is a seven minute mile or eight minute mile or, or nine, 10, et cetera, it's all relative, but physiology isn't, which is why it's so great to attend Professor Anik's math class or biology <laughs> well- class. Yeah, I love, I think like some people call it gains, like they get strength, they're gains. It's also called long-term adaptation, which means you have stronger muscles, cardiovascular systems, bones, ligaments, everything is stronger the more that you do this. And I think it's just really funny how it's like a real biology term. It's a real science, sports science term, but everyone just calls it like you have gains. Yeah. And honestly, I'm thinking about it. This is episode two of our podcast. So 
by episode 10 or 11 we'll have made some gains so you know if, <laughs> if you're one of the ogs that's what we're going to call our crew right now of podcasters for nyr come and let us know how we're doing by episode 9 10 because we look forward to making some gains making some gains for those of you marathoners who are running the virtual tcs new york city marathon you're going to look at your workout plan and you'll notice one really interesting thing you'll notice a lot of interesting things but one of the interesting things is that the workouts get harder at the very beginning they're kind of easy we want you to be able to do them and at the very end or just a few weeks out they're much more intense and much more challenging and Folks call that getting in shape. It's also called the principle of progression and overload, meaning your body can now handle the load that is on it. Yeah. And to be honest, if you look at your training plan, whether you're working with us or not, it can look daunting and that's okay. Whether you're a seasoned runner or not, you know, I used the example last time of Iliad Kipchoge. He wanted to break two hours in the marathon, which is obviously a lofty goal. He's experienced gold medal winner, et cetera. But he must have looked at what that plan looked like for six weeks or sorry, six months or a year. And that must have looked daunting. But he also has that belief and understands that it's not where you are today is where you're looking to get. So you have to take it one step at a time. So if it's daunting, it's okay. It's daunting for everybody. Absolutely. And that's why a targeted or individualized training plan for you is so important. This isn't something that you can follow your friends or uh, like a sister who's also doing it. You have to follow your own training plan because we design these to challenge your body in a very specific way. And if you are not at the optimal challenge zone, which is like you recover, you are now stronger, and then you challenge yourself again, and it keeps being this challenge-based system, you'll actually start to have burnout, fatigue, and overload. And you'll see systems start to crash, meaning you'll start to be anemic, you'll start to fatigue easily, you'll be Roberto on the couch at 10,000 feet altitude, whatever it is. That should be my next podcast, Roberto on the couch at 10,000 feet. But no, <laughs> it, it's it's actually quite true because no two runners are alike. And, and I had some friends that were twins. Actually, I still have them and they're still twins, but friends of mine that are <laughs> twins, <laughs> I did not separate them. They're very, very good runners, and but they just recovered differently. One could train really well off of four hours of sleep the other one needed maybe six or seven so as coach Anik just said the training plan is targeted for you and not your training partner or your sister or your brother it's for you all right and so Roberto I love this example of like twins but different recovery needs all right, I'm going to give a bucket example so you're going to stay with me on this okay so I'm just say yes 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 I'm, I'm right hey. here with you professor Thank you. Thank you, Roberto. And so let's pretend that you're a bucket. I think runners always think about energy systems as buckets. I don't know why we do this, but so you're a bucket. I, I'm no longer uh, Roberto on the couch at 10,000 feet. Now I am a bucket. Okay. You're, you're Roberto the bucket and you're, you're different than the other buckets out there, right? So you've, that's the individualized, individualized portion. I can't even say it. You're a bucket. All right. And so if you think about homeostasis as the bucket is half full, right? So you're sitting on your couch, Half full. Okay. Yeah. So with me, I'm an optimistic bucket. I got you. You got it. You're an optimistic bucket. You go out for your 10,000 mountain climb run, whatever it is you used to do, and you actually fatigue heavily, right? So the bucket goes very close to empty, right? Yes. You take a couple days recovery and your bucket fills back up, right? A hundred percent. I mean, 100%. I agree. Not that it fills up 100%, but yes, yes. Thank you. Good clarification. So it fills up. But what is interesting, this is the whole point of the biology of adaptation is your bucket doesn't fill back up to halfway. Your bucket fills up above the halfway point. 
you actually get a super compensation effect, which means you're now stronger than ever before. But you only get the super compensation effect if you recover properly, which means two things. You have to recover, but you can't recover forever. I know there's runners who never give themselves recovery. Do you know any of those sort of athletes, Roberto? Yes, Roberto, circa 2007. (laughs) Or there's athletes who give themselves way too much recovery, like more than three days. That's, uh, I think, Anique, circa 2013. Also, Roberto, Um, circa today. (laughs) Today. So you have endless recovery, right? But in that perfect window between one and three days, you actually get that boost. And if you do another great effort, a good run, a workout, a long run, you actually become progressively stronger week after week, month after month, training cycle after training cycle, and year after year, which is why so many of us love the sport of running because you get better over time. Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing that we should note, and I know if I was speaking to Roberto circa you know, mid-2000s, is be okay with the rest day. And a rest day might look different for everybody, but make sure that it's a purposeful rest day and be okay with it. Because I know, again, back in the day, Roberto used to think, if I take a day off, I'm going to sacrifice fitness. And the day that I'm not training, everybody I compete against is training, which if you get into that sort of mentality, you're going to dig yourself a hole, which in this scenario, that's where I guess I would be putting my bucket. Absolutely. And so that's the biology of adaptation. That's why you have to take the rest day. And and it's so funny because you're right, Roberto. It's like a mentality game, right? We all cheers each other for doing really hard things, but we don't cheers each other for taking days off. Coach Steve was saying the other day that folks are like, yeah, I did that 20 mile. Let me tell everyone I ran 20 miles. But nobody's like, hey, I did that recovery day. I I think it should be flipped. Like people really should celebrate giving yourself the chance to recover and, and boost up a level instead of potentially overtraining or hurting yourself. Exactly. I mean, high five to all those nappers out there, especially if you're an adult, which I assume you are listening to this podcast, but naps are a thing of the past. It seems like once you get to a certain age and we all get into our nine to five, even working virtually right now, you know, naps seem a thing of the past. So if you are able to rest, high five to you, kudos to you and and just, you know, keep it going because you'll be better for it. And so to our marathon runners out there who are looking at their plans today, tomorrow, this week, please follow them. They're really important, especially the days where there's very little written, those rest and recovery days. This is the whole reason why you have to give yourself a chance to be successful by recuperating. But I think this is also a Coach Roberto quote that we will close on, which is one run does not matter. It's a collection of runs over a period of time. Exactly. Thank you for not just putting me in a bucket, but then taking me out of the bucket and sharing some of my favorite quotes with our listeners. There's a lot more to Coach Roberto than a bucket. Indeed. At New York Roadrunners Coaching Lab, we believe all runners deserve a coach and a community to help them achieve their goals. We just talked about the importance of training plans, and the coach really takes it to the next level. For the virtual TCS New York City Marathon, which you can still sign up for, we just started programming, and we have two options for you to join and run with coaches. Exactly. Those two options are Coaching Lab Essentials 26.2 and Coaching Lab Team 26.2. Let's unpack that a little bit. Anique, what is Coaching Lab Essentials? Coaching Lab Essentials 26.2 is a full training plan. It's this awesome community where you get to connect with other runners all around the globe. You also have access to the training team, which is our coaching staff we have all the time at New York Roadrunners, which includes Coach Berto and myself. And we would be talking to you every Tuesday at uh, 
and sharing how to get prepared for this event. So it's got some information like the podcast, but it's really got a lot of very specific marathoning tips, tricks, and most importantly, we answer your questions. So that is what the Coaching Lab Essentials teams get. Wow, that sounds interesting. And now Coaching Lab Teams 26.2 sounds similar, but what is that? It is. It's the next level too, which is you have twice a week phone calls, except now they're video calls. We don't do phone calls anymore. They're video calls with your coaches and your teammates. So you actually get to interact at a very high level. And what we're learning is that even though we can't all be together in person, these calls really allow their, the runners to connect to their coaches. Yeah, indeed. I recall a couple of weeks ago, we actually had a runner in coaching lab join us for our plan, pre-planned call mid-run. So they just, you know, logged in and we all look to our little square there and we see one of our runners running with their phone and their buff and join us. So it's kind of, you know, part of that new normal that we are all experiencing. Yeah. And that coach can really take you to the next level. So if you're looking for full training plans and you're looking for coaches to varying degrees, coaching lab essentials, you have coaches giving you information and answering your question, coaching lab teams, you have a lot more in-depth back and forth with your coaches. We have options for you and you can find them all at nyr.org under the training. But the cool thing is that if you sign up for the virtual TCS New York City Marathon, you'll get a discounted price for coaching lab programs just for registering for the marathon. Again, head over to nyrr.org to check it out. All right, so we've talked about the importance of a training plan, the importance of following that training plan, and now we get to talk about the coach-athlete relationship. We sat down with a coach, coffee, and an athlete, Victoria Fortune, Coffee is the Define a New York Run Club founder, coach, and social activist. Victoria Fortune is Define New York Run Club runner and a social impact leader. We talked about the role of the coach, as I said, but also how running and that coach can help you find your voice. Indeed. And, and that voice, you know, through the interview, you'll find out that Coffee is definitely one of those people, runners in this case, who really lives by the don't just talk about it, be about it. So it was really interesting to hear how he's blended athletics and social activism. Let's hear from them now. All right, so Coach Roberto and I are so excited to talk to our guest today. It is Coffee and Victoria Fortune, and we are talking coaching, we're talking New York City running community, and we're talking the importance of a coach. So to get right into it, Coffee, how long have you been running and how long have you been coaching? Um, technically, I've been running for like 15, 16 years. And I've pretty much been pacer, pacer coaching um, for like the last six or seven years, um, along with Nike. Um, I was a Nike pacer and became a Nike pacer coach. So and, there were coaches above me. And how else are you staying active uh, when you're not running? What else does your days look like? Um. Well, for me, I'm more of a, I'm a, I'm a runner slash um, filmmaker. So when I'm not running, I'm actually um, screenwriting and um, meeting with different producers and getting um, short films or, you know, developing TV shows. Absolutely. And I, I think uh, activist is also something that you could claim to your title as well. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm a, I take that. Um, yeah, I'm an activist. I'm a firm fighter for, you know, equal rights for black people and um, people of color um, because it's been way too much unfair justice for us um, 
for years, you know, before any of us were even born. So I, I'm definitely out there um, playing my part, um, doing the things that's necessary for me to do because I don't want, you know, my kids to have to go through the same things that we all see other people going through as well as us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and so, Victoria, same question for you. How long have you been running and what does your day-to-day -day look like when you're not? Well, thank you guys for having me, Coffee. Thank you for inviting me uh, to be a part of this. I feel very honored to be here. Um, yeah, I've been running pretty much since I learned to walk and run. Um, I, I never did it professionally. Um, it, it's always been a form of, of therapy for me. I started really running, I guess, um, in high school. I was on the track team. And then when I went to college, I went to Howard University. Um, I decided not to run on the track team, but I still ran every morning. Um, I especially put in miles before a big exam. And then when I moved to New York in 2012, um, just to cope with everything happening in life and the stress of being a real adult, um, I began using running as a part of my routine. Um, and, and more recently, running has become um, a healing mechanism for me uh, because of the loss of my dad in 2018. And, and actually, that's how I met Coffee through my Nike Project Moonshot, which we can get into a little bit later. But yeah, running is a huge part of my life. Victoria, how did you end up running and being coached by Coffee? Um, well, honestly, I, I used to run by myself. I, I never knew that there was this huge running community out there in New York. Uh, occasionally I would run with, uh, Nike NRC when I first moved here, but I never, I went sporadically. Uh, it wasn't until last year that I began to realize that there are actual coaches who dedicate their time for this. And so, like I said, I met Nike, I met, I met Nike, I met uh, coffee through Nike project moonshot. And, um, uh, it was amazing for me to see that, um, you know, he's a black man who, who's committed to not only training us to be the best athletes, but, um, you know, I felt, I felt it, it was, it was comforting because in the running community, in my opinion, I, I really see black runners. And so to have someone as, as a leader who, who led our pace group coffee, I felt like he really took me under his wing as well as the other runners. And so that was really special to me, um, especially considering all that I was dealing with. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point. Like they are, we, you know, sounding boards, they're mentors, they're motivators, right? And so there's the idea that like a coach is going to help you with like get through some miles physically, but there's really the emotional connection point. So for our, our interview today, we're going to be looking a little bit at the role that coaches have. And I thought you brought up some really like maybe the big ones for us. Um, you know, we think of coaches as important to how fast we get. We think how important coaches are to our sense of purpose, uh, how they connect us to teammates, you know, how they rally the whole team uh, around each other, and then how they connect to the community. So those are some of the like, ways we're going to unpack what the role of the coach is. Um, so let's talk about those connection points from a training standpoint, right? So you you ran in high school. Can I ask really quickly, what was your event in high school or what your preferred distance on the track team? Yeah, so I ran indoor track and I ran the 4x4, the open 300, and the 500. Yeah, yes, there is nothing better than the 4x4. So I yeah. just love to, that's like the true team event. So I just love that, that relay. Um, so uh, from a training standpoint, what uh, guidance does a coach provide to you? So for like coffee, you're looking to get running, you're looking to run more, get this identity. What 
uh, guidance was he able to provide in training uh, for something as ambitious as the marathon? Well, I'm a huge believer that you can't be what you can't see and to, to have him as our guide. And um, every time we were training each week, I believe the miles kind of increased and I would be so intimidated by the big plan in front of us. I'm like, 14 miles, I can't do this. But having coffee um, there and, you know, having him, someone who's done this before, it was so comforting for me. I, every time we ran, I would tell coffee this all the time. I didn't feel like I was actually running. And I would look at the watch and it would say 8.30, like 8.30 um, as our, our, our time per, per mile. And I would be in disbelief because it never felt like I was actually moving when I, when, when, whenever we run with coffee. Even to this day with Define New York Run Club, I look at my watch and it says nine miles in. And I'm like, how? So I do think that he has a really smooth approach. Uh, you don't feel intimidated. He makes sure that everyone's comforting. And more importantly, he makes sure he, he has, a, has the ability to make sure our mind is at ease, which, which is the, the number one important thing. It's all mental. So from a relationship standpoint, beyond performance goals, although I think you had a very fast first marathon, so performance goals are always important. Uh, it was sub four, right? Yes. 3.58 yes, 58 or something like that. 3.58. Yeah. I love that. That's not even like under the wire. That's like well under the wire. So congrats on that uh, fast marathon there. But performance goals aside, how does having a coach help you grow personally? Like before you found a network of folks to train with and then after, how do you think you've changed as an athlete? That's a really good question. Uh, because it was such a heavy time period for me during the time I was training for the marathon, it was, it was so great to have people around me that I really didn't have to share my story with just to know that they were there was incredible. Um, under Coffee's leadership, especially because I do think we share a common love for the black community and, and representation is really important to us. So um, I think that was really important for me, uh, not only to have a coach, but to have a black coach Sometimes you get in these environments, I'm always the only black wherever I go. And it can be a little intimidating um, having to always be the only and to, to not have that be my reality for this one time was, was very comforting. Aside from that, there were things about, um, like you said, my body that I, I didn't know the importance of foam rolling before and after a run or stretching. I used to get up in the morning when I first moved here and just go. Yeah. But having having a coach and a trainer kind of implement that into like the actual programming at the start of every run, you foam roll, you stretch, and then you go, um, mm -hmm. was, was extremely important to me. And I do want to follow, since you brought up representation, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, we know, uh, like you're telling me, like it feels isolated to be the only black woman to show up at a practice. What is it like to show up with representation and how does that make it so you're able to focus on the joy of running? Uh, it makes it a lot, uh, I won't say a lot easier, but um, it makes it a lot more comforting. Um, like I referred to uh, before, because I think both Coffee and I can share this, that we, we walk into rooms sometimes and, and we're usually the only. And I think uh, Black people have a special uh, universal language, a communication that is sometimes unsaid. We have the head nod, we have the fist bump. And to be able to do that on a consistent basis every time we met um, just made, just made the, the, the practice and the marathon training so much lighter. We can also share stories that other people around us can't really relate to. Um, and so to me, that, that, that meant the world. 
And Coffee, what would you uh, say about representation and the importance of it in practice spaces, sports spaces, and the, the absolute need for it? I mean, well, for, for running, uh, when I first became, well, first, when I first started running with Nike before I even became a pacer, um, I sat back and looked at my surroundings then because I was probably one out of three, you know, well, it was three of us. It was three African-Americans that was actually there and out of hundreds of runners that Nike will bring to Nike town to run um, NRC, you know? So then um, my thing was um, keeping up with them, paying attention to my surroundings and, 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 and also embracing what the sport really was because I come from a basketball background. I don't come from long distance running. And in basketball, we weren't able to do long distance because of the injury mm-hmm. um, effects that the coach would try to keep us away from. So while running, I was approached um, after maybe a year if I could become a pacer. And, you know, I got back with them um, to let them know um, one, I had to take it serious. And two, if I was to do this, my main thing was to see more of us out there. And when I say us, I don't just mean like, I mean, people of all colors, right? Because nothing, you know, obviously there was a lot of white people that run and, and they should, because everyone needs to be healthy, but there was really no black representation, no Latino, no, I mean, Latin representation and Asian representation, like there was none of that. So my goal was to not just become a pacer to train, it was become a pacer to train and let other people know that running is okay to do. If you look like me, then it's, it's all gravy. Just come out, share some miles, and get healthy with us. And how do you think that's, you know, influenced you now being in a leadership role? Like, you know, you're talking about how you just used to be the runner, and then you stepped up into the pacer role. And, you know, we keep seeing you become more and more of a leader for the running community. How do you <clears throat> think your um, leadership style has changed how you've grown, you know, lessons you've learned about leading in this space, this running community space. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know what, it, it's actually happened organically because I don't plan anything. It just happens the day of, like, if I happen to wake up, like, tomorrow, I mean, when I wake up tomorrow, I don't, I'm not planning anything for tomorrow, but if I see that there's somewhere where my voice needs to belong to, then I'm all about it and I just take action. I'm not a person that actually talks about things. I'm a person that actually go and take action. We all know action speaks louder than words. And that's one of the things that I do. And I like to kind of do it, to be honest. I kind of like to do it quietly. I, I don't, the, you know, getting press and all that, I, I don't, that doesn't make me take a step forward. That doesn't make me richer than, you know, more money. It doesn't do any of that. What I'm all about is helping whoever it is that I can help um, physically, verbally, um, emotionally. Um, whatever way that I can. And that's what I did. That's what I'm doing with the running community. And that's why um, I think, well, that's why I'm an activist as well, because I'm trying to, you know, let people know, hey, it's a-okay to say something about something. And that's me. I'll say something in a heartbeat. That, yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, it's wonderful how, you know, through your platform and your voice, you could inspire and, you know, really empower other runners. Um, but kind of similar, and obviously speaking both on the activist front, but also on the athletic side, why do you think it's important to have other runners around you with a, a similar goal or message? Which, well, which message are we speaking of? Um, 
the message from activism or message of just being a runner, period, right? Um, I mean, honestly, it's a great follow-up, but I would say almost both because you're obviously comfortable blending both. So you're using, yeah. you know, running as a great platform, but you're also, you know, using your yeah. voice within that platform. And, and I think some runners tend to want to either be one or the other, or they don't know how to maybe blend the two. And, and it sounds like you're actually masterfully doing both. Yeah, well, for, for me, um, you're right. I'm absolutely blending both of those things because, you know, when we do Nike Moonshot and we actually um, training the people for the different marathons, whether it's Berlin, um, Chicago, or New York, because they're so close together, right? Um, if you come in to run with me, which is the blue group, um, then therefore for me they have to i have to gain their trust first and you know and once i gain people trust then that's when any and everything that i say they're going to believe because they know i'm 110 percent accurate and i'm not a coach that just talks about it i actually like running with my runners so it's kind of like i run you run we run together so we can experience the exact same thing, the exact same, you know, we, we taking that pavement together. And um, once I got them that way, you know, for me, it's okay, they believe in me. So everything I touch and everything I say, they're gonna follow and they know that I'm not gonna lead them the, the, down the wrong path. And then, so, you know, that's just from the running perspective. So from the activism perspective, what's going outside our doors, so there's people that came and trained with me. Now let's see how much you really cared about me. Because if you show me love while we're running and you see actually what's happening outside our doors, um, then I'm one of those people that could basically end up behind or in front of um, the cops battle, you know, when it comes to police brutality. So loaning my voice to that is and seeing the different hundreds of people or the thousands of people that came out to the very first one that lets it be known that what i was doing was a-okay and i was doing the right thing because now in front of me everyone that i trained and and some because you know there was more than half of the runners out there that i didn't know and i trained over thousands of people so apparently there's been some good light spoken about me behind closed doors to let people know that they could believe in me as a coach, but also believe in me as a person. And now that we doing these running two protest runs, that's when I know that they don't only see me as a coach, they see me as a black human being and they actually care about the color that I am. And they want, you know, they want justice just as much as we want justice and they want equal, they want us to have equal equality compared to what they already have and been having. Because for us, you know, for Victoria and I and every black person and person of color, man, we, you know, I said this before, we basically have to relive our lives every single day to make sure that we make it home safely to our families, um, to our kids, you know, and, and, and then the following day, we wake up, we gotta make sure that we take those exact same steps. And as a grown man, I kind of feel like, you know, that's sad because that's something that I wasn't, you know, I was immune to it a little bit as a child, but you don't get as much information. But my grandparents was telling us every single thing without sugarcoating nothing from Emmett Till, you know, from, from way back then to even um, now. So those are the steps that I take. And that's why I intertwine both 
running for marathons, but running also to, to protest to try to get equal justice for us. And 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 even now, like my run club, um, we run in you know for in memory of Rihanna Taylor. We still trying to get those four officers arrested, and we we're not going to stop um, until it happens. It, it might be more quieter now because the new normal is somewhat coming about. But to me, it's not about the new normal. It's about, you know, a lady, a woman is not breathing anymore and her family have to deal with that. And we have to do what's right for her and get justice for Miss Breonna Taylor and the rest of the victims as well from Omar Arbery running in the country and getting killed by just running in, in, in a neighborhood. Like, come on, that's, that's, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I just believe in fighting for what's right. That's how I was raised and I'm not going to stop. Yeah, I mean, you've just said so much that I'm sure resonates with a lot of our our listeners, certainly with me. And, you know, it reminds me of a quote that a friend of mine told me, you know, back in the day when I was starting to run or at least try to take it more seriously. That seems like it's one of your ethos, which is don't talk about it, be about it. You know, you obviously are are living it. And, you know, one thing I would say, and you just mentioned that it seems like it's quieting down. Obviously, things go in cycle, whether we're talking about training or um, social movements, but you know, both for our listeners that are interested in the training aspect, but our listeners who are also interested in the social aspect, I I would say, and I'm sure you would agree that, you know, it's cliche, but every, you know, great journey starts with that first step. And same with marathon training or social activism. Sometimes you seem like you're making a lot of progress, you're sprinting out of the gate. And other times it just seems like those, um, you know, those advancements are so ever slightly and incremental. But, you know, if you believe in a cause, you believe in training for a virtual marathon or, you know, believe in getting justice, uh, you know, like as in your case, you just got to be patient and be willing to put in the hard work. And so, you know, so much of what you said, again, resonates with me and I'm sure with a lot of our listeners, because there's that duality, duality that you that you speak of both in life day to day with like your checklist, as you say, you're, you're kind of reliving every day. But then obviously, on the training side, you know, and, and I'm sure you probably do this with the runners, you coach like Victoria, you, you know, you also have a checklist of every day, like what sort of training am I needing to do? And what's the ultimate goal? And how do I bridge that gap? So, you know, you, you spoke a lot of truth and definitely, definitely resonates with me. Yeah, Victoria, I have a sort of follow up in that style, which is um, we talk about finding your voice through running, through leadership, through advocacy, through coaching, whatever it may be for you as a runner. How has running helped you find your voice? uh, And what is that voice now? That's a really good question. I think um, I didn't share much of my background, but uh, I work at an organization called Global Citizen. Our main goal is to end extreme poverty around the world by leveraging the voices of some of the most powerful people in entertainment, government, um, in order to change policies. And so I've always had a deep love for advocacy and and people, um, specifically people of color, uh, but all people who are often forgotten about and left behind. And so um, within that group of people, um, I've lately become passionate about because of my own lived experience about using running how people can use running to help cope with loss and so that's exactly what i did in 2019 last year as i was dealing with the loss of my dad who i often refer to as my champ my hero we were very close and all throughout my life he um ingrained really uh strong lessons within me that i still use today through sports 
And so when Nike did that feature video of me called Lessons from My Champ, which was originated from posts that I dedicated to my dad leading up to the marathon, I got so many inbox messages uh, from people all around the world because it was posted on Nike Running um, about how that inspired them to honor someone that they lost and how it also inspired them to run. And that to me was, was, was truly touching because that, that was my ultimate goal to get people to use running as a coping mechanism because it was honestly the most healing thing for me, not only running, but the community of people that I was surrounded by. I felt like I had a really great support system and I didn't feel forced to have to talk about my grief. Instead, we would just go out there and run. I would put in the miles and um, that was just as healing for me as, as, as meditating every morning. And I, I love you talking about your father, right? Because you're describing him in all these ways that we talk about coaches. Like he's supportive. He's there. He listened to me. He motivated me. Um, are there, you know, I'm sort of playing with this idea that like a coach is not even somebody who's always has that title. And it sounds like, is it true that your father very much filled that role in early sports and life for you? Oh yeah. For, for me, not just for me, but for, for, for kids in the neighborhood uh, I have an older brother for him and his friends. My brother was also a track runner and he played football. He played football at Morehouse College as well. Um, and so, I, I mean, I don't even know if I've ever shared this, but there were so many similarities between my dad and coffee that I often saw uh, mannerisms wise, um, the way he looks out for the community. I, I mean, my dad was the same exact way. So I also think that's one of the reasons why I was so, I felt so comfortable in the blue group that coffee led. And even today, why I made it, um, I made it a point and a mission to be supportive and a part of whatever coffee does, because um, in, in so many ways, he, he reminds me of my father. And so, um, yeah, yeah. So I think as a coach, you, you and as a, as a dad or as a male, black male figure, you, you still, you check off so many lists and, you know, coaches such a, a, a big term. I mean, my dad was a coach, a dad, he was everything. And um, yeah, I hope I answered your question. I'm oh, oh, oh you did. No, I have a follow-up too, which is given your journey, you know, athlete, now you're finding your voice and you're stepping up. I mean, I saw the photography of you running with coffee and he's leading in coffee. And you're talking about that coach who runs with the athlete. I think there's something deeply powerful about like sweating with your athlete and recognizing their work and your work and you're all paying the price for whatever it is you're doing. My question to you, Victoria, is are you one day going to coach? Because I think you have a great voice for it and a great sense for it. You got me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. I don't know. Maybe. I, 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 um, I don't know. I've, I've, never saw, I've never seen myself as, as a coach, but it may be down my, it may be in my future. I don't know. I don't know if it's in my, my immediate future. Um, but potentially, yes, I, I am very passionate about, about young black girls and I would love to see more young black girls uh, running. So if the opportunity presented itself, potentially, but uh, right now, I'm not so sure. I have to think about it. <laughs> I like it. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And actually, I have a follow-up question, I guess, on the topic of future and, and I guess apologies in advance because it might seem a little bit open-ended, but, you know, this goes for both of you. Obviously, with the sports and activism have, have always been blended. You know, we could go back to Muhammad Ali and, and such. But I guess my question is more, given that we're seeing the rise of social activism through running and run crews and, and specifically, you know, what coffee is doing, 
where would you like to see, you know, all of this? Or how do you see the evolution, let's say, in five years or, or 10 years? And I say that with the caveat that we've all this year specifically have had to pivot to, you know, virtual platforms and connecting with runners and, and, and athletes differently because of COVID-19. So we have seen that as a society, as a, as a you know, civilization all around the world, we can pivot and, and have a, a bit of a paradigm shift. But at the same time, everybody is eager to return to normal. So, you know, what do you see as the evolution of all this? Or at least what do you hope to see? You want to take a go at that coffee? You guys could, you know, tag team it as well, a relay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, I would hope to see a different world. Um, basically, I mean, a different country. If United States of America is supposed to be the number one country, right? And then why are we still fighting one color? That's 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 my thing. And and I question myself um, often with this one question: If it wasn't for COVID nineteen, will we even be having this conversation right now about running and running while being black in America? Because would America have slowed down? to pay attention to what happened to Mr. George Floyd and Mr. Amar Arbery and Ms. Breonna Taylor. If, I, I, I mean, if COVID is a terrible thing, horrific um, thing to happen because it took so many lives. But if it wasn't for that, will we be talking about social justice right now? And I don't mean just specifically in this podcast, I mean in general, worldwide. Because you see this thing is bigger than just this country. There's foreign countries that are marching for what happened to the same victims that we're marching for and um, right now. So I would like to see um, a different outcome. Let's, let's, let's just be fair. And regardless on what component that may be, sports, um, corporate businesses, because you know there's a lot of corporate business where I can say, yeah, I know you guys want to talk to me about this, that, and the third. But let me show me your board. Half of them don't want to show me, don't talk to me about their board because they know it's just a conversation for them. But for me, show me some color in your board and then we can speak whatever it is that you want to speak about. I'm all about being truth. I'm all about being as blunt as possible. I can't sit around and just not say anything. I can't sit around and just let you get away with whatever it is you feel like you're getting away with. Um, you can judge a book by its cover, but I don't know if I'm an easy cover to judge by because I would let someone know right then and there on the spot. And that's just, you know, me being blunt. So that's what I want to see. I just want to see those changes. And, and athletes are great to do that as well. You know, I see what LeBron has been doing for ages. Um, Muhammad Ali that you mentioned. Um, Jim Brown, like Jim Brown, the Cleveland Summit that happened in 1967 when Jim Brown had Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all these other black NFL athletes um, during a time where people didn't even have TV. They were just listening to the radio and the discussion was basically about how they should side with Muhammad Ali being that he didn't want to go to war and he had every reason not to go to war because he specifically was saying that, hey, you guys treat us like this over here in America and you want to send me over to you know to, to Asia and kill them? No, they treated us better than they treated we were getting treated in America. You know what I mean? So I, I, I say all that because they was doing that in 1967. 
we're still doing it here in 2020. So as much as it will take five, 10, 15, or 20 years to make a change, I'm all about doing that because again, I don't want my kids to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. From generation to generation, my, our greats, our grands, our parents, and even me is tired. I mean, sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I'm gonna still get out there. I don't want my kids and when my kids have grand, my grandkids, I don't want them saying the same thing. So that's the change that I want to see, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And before I kick it, same question to Victoria, I will say, <clears throat> you know, social activism, much like training, is, is a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. So, you know, I, I think, you know, working towards progress, but also having that long term view um, that you kind of mentioned is great. So, yeah, Victoria, similar question. Obviously, Coffee answered it, you know, in his own words. But, you know, if there's anything there that echoes with you or resonates, we'd love to hear it. One person that, that um, you know, Coffee mentioned some great athletes, John Carlos has always been an inspiration of mine. Um, and, and I've kind of, I've, I've always admired him. I got a chance to meet him a few years ago and I had the chance to actually tell him that. But one other thing that I would love to see, I think during our fight for racial justice, and it's continuing, but a few months ago, and even now, we saw so many large corporations release these grand gestures and these statements. Um, aligning with Black Lives Matter. And, and even that statement to me is so bizarre that we have to say that, um, that our lives actually matter. Um, but I want to see some action put behind these statements. Um, I want to see the big corporations of the world, especially the ones that are, that are in sport, I want to see them supporting programs that are specifically targeted to engaging Black communities. I want to see more Black runners. I want, to make, I want them to make a conscious effort to build out programs, to train more coaches, to support um, people that are that are actually uh, doing the work right now. I want to see them amplify this work. Um, if they're going to release these grand statements, I think that there needs to be someone holding them accountable, which I'm which I'm happy to start to do. But I want there to be a true desire to uh, improve the lives of Black people and to create access and build bridges so that we can, we can thrive. We have the same opportunities to thrive as, as anyone else. And so that's one thing I'd really like to see, especially these big organizations that have bucket loads of money um, that can actually afford to implement these programs in neighborhoods that they're too afraid to go in. Um, that's, that's what I'd like to see. And uh, Victoria, I think you're talking about the John Carlos story. That's Is that it. when you... That's when you met him. Yeah. I, I think a lot of themes that we're talking about today are how, you know, sports is supposed to be a bubble. It's like a protected sphere. And at the same time, we all know sports has been like the the center for activism, right? Especially racial and gendered activism. And so it's like, how can we be honest about sports not being a bubble when so much is being pushed by sports? So there's like a real duality with sports. Sometimes it gives and sometimes it takes. And it's really calling people to uh, you know, I think as both of you are doing, like live their life through sports and bring others along and use their voice um, and, and raise their voice. And I think both of you created the space for folks to do that, especially in the, the running to protest and, and calling people in uh, about your father's story and healing through running, Victoria. My last question for our two guests today is the importance of feeling uh, welcome in the running community. And so you have somebody who's been a solo athlete for many years uh, and they don't feel like the running community is for them. What advice would either one of you give to this person so that they feel called into the community? Because you've both found it 
So how would you help them find it? Yeah, you know, it's difficult because because of the Nike Project Moonshot program, I was, um, this, this running community was revealed to me. I think without it, I would still be running solo. So I, I don't think it's the job of the person to seek out the running community. I think the people that have the resources and the access and the network, I think, um, you know, such to my last question, my last answer, they need to do a better job of being more inclusive and they need to do it on purpose. So I think that, like, had I known, I didn't even know the Nike Project Moonshot program existed and it's been around for three years, but I got a notification on my app. I also have friends that, that work at Nike. And so I was able to uh, learn more about the program. But had I not been on the app, I wouldn't have known about it. So I do think that some, some of these corporations can do a better job at, um, you know, pr promoting the programs that they do have. I think we do a great job at Define New York. Um, we're, we're really open and inviting. We tell people to invite friends. Of course, COVID has made things a lot more difficult to, 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 to run. But um, I think the run clubs that do exist, maybe have a friend, invite a friend. Um, but that, that's, that's the advice that I can give. And, and if you're a solo runner, just when, whenever you see other runners, you're comfortable enough to stop the running group and ask them, who, what running group they're a part of. That's also extremely helpful, but not everyone is, is as outgoing as, as some others may be. So I think yeah. it's the job of the people that are in the running community to be more inviting. I think that's an excellent, yeah. I think that's an excellent point is being called into the running community and not having the solo runner have to find it. Uh, Coffee, your take on it. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to what um, V just said. Um, I pretty much, my approach is, Anyone that's running solo, because um, I used to run solo, so I would totally understand it. But I think the main thing is to get them to trust you and everything that you're saying, which is what I said before. So I think you have to get, you have to first tell them to embrace their weaknesses on why they don't run with the run group and then erase them. That's the main thing. And then, you know, let them know that, you know, they're more than just a runner. They're, I mean, if you're running, you're actually considered an athlete as well and i think once you get them to believe in that then it's just about, it's about the success that they will actually see of having like z said earlier when they was running with me seven miles never felt like seven miles but it didn't feel like seven miles because i'm a visual runner so the routes that we take i make sure that we never run the same routes and i make sure that it's a sightseeing long distance run and that takes your mind off the mileage that you are actually um, getting in. And once you see these beautiful sites and once you see these abandoned buildings and, you know, these gyms that New York City actually has to offer, that's why it makes running with a group so much easier as opposed to running solo. When you're running solo, I mean, you can actually, you know, run and, and feel great. But the thing is, you're feeling great by yourself and that's not a bad thing, but you will feel greater running with other people that cherish the exact same sport and trying to cross that finish line with you in front of you or behind you, but also making sure that you cross as well. And I think that's how you can get them to cross over from running solo to running with a, a run crew. Thank you. And to Thank add to you. that one last thing, sorry. I was going to say, you also realize that um, no matter who you're running with, what color they are, there, there are more commonalities that we have than differences. I, I had no idea that so many others that I ran with had also lost a loved one. 
Um, and and yeah. to, 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 to have that sense of community that while I grieve my dad, there are also people that have lost parents to know that I'm not alone. Um, it, it just makes the experience of grief that much more easier. We're able to connect and run through this shared common pain that we have that running has helped us um, get through. Yeah, I agree with that. Just know your why. That's how um, every training session that we had at the very end, um, the Saturday, I mean, yeah, the Saturday before the Sunday that the marathon comes on, being that you guys, the marathon is always the first Sunday in November, um, I will always run the crew to a destination to where no one else is at. And my main thing um, would be, what is your purpose and why? Remember why you are actually doing this. And everybody has, you know, come from different walks. Like Victoria told you, um, she had to get this done because of, in memory of her dad. And then there was other people that had to do it because, you know, their friend was in a, a bad accident and they no longer could walk. And they was interested in New York Marathon. So they ran it for their friend. So, you know, understand the why, the purpose. And at that time, you know, it's bigger than just you. All of a sudden, this 26.2 miles is the incredible hawk to you as an individual. And your goal is to conquer this thing the exact way that you will, that you will feel comfortable with and that you know whoever it is that you're running for would feel comfortable with and, and appreciate. So. Coffee, everything you just said was like coach gold for motivating athletes, grounding them, giving them direction, purpose, destinations. I mean, it was like a master master class in, in how to get marathoners to feel connected to community. Um, I want to thank you both so much for joining Roberto and I and sharing your lives, your stories, your activism, and your athletics with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So we just want to say thank you so much to Coffee and Victoria for sitting down and talking to us. Uh, that interview was just really great. And we we're so thankful they take the time to share themselves, their stories, uh, and just social activism and sport was just really great for them to unpack as well. Yeah, you could say that again. And honestly, obviously, if you're not in the city right now and aren't able to join them for a run, as I would like to do at some point down the road, for the time being, you could follow them on their social media channels. So for Victoria, her Instagram is at V-I-C-M-O-F-O. And for coffee, you can find him at a couple different Instagram handles. Uh, one is his personal one at that coffee boy, C-O-F-F-E-Y. Uh, his film on Instagram is at about the people's film, the define New York run club Instagram, which is define New York run club. And then the running to protest uh, group as well on Instagram. And last but not least, obviously, it's my voice, it's Anik's voice, but we couldn't do this without our team. That is executive producer John Phillips, our other producers, Steve Mura, Ben Delaney, Sam Dupuis, Gordon Bakulis, Lily Corsaro, and Ted Doyle. And of course, the wizard behind all this technology, our engineer and editor, Craig Gorbanoff. Are you inspired to get a coach? Yes. Yes, we hope you are. And if you need one, we've got them. It's not too late to join the NYRR Coaching Lab team or Coaching Lab Essentials. You can head to nyrr.org, click the training tab, and find all our training offerings. Thank you all out there for listening and being part of our show. We'll see you again next Thursday. Until then. So good.